Blog Talk Radio. The following is a post time with Mike and Mike production. Trent McWicket is lonely on the lead. He's up by four on the outside. Don't tell me again, cutting into the margin. But it's McWicket four years later back at the top of the sport. Homicide Hunter who sweeps past to the outside. Homicide Hunter trotting into the finish. It's Homicide Hunter who will hit the line. 148 and 4, the fastest trotter ever. Dewey did some good down the boulevard of broken dreams. Walker Meister coming at him. Walker Meister on the outside getting the best of him. Walker Meister in front. Giddy up. Three wide, all bets off. They're at the top of the stretch. Rockin' Ron turns first in the Battle of Lake Erie. On the outside, bit of a legend. Rockin' Ron, bit of a legend. On the outside, bit of a legend. This year's battle champion, 23 and 1. Homeward bound in Gold Cup and Soccer, 59. Somewhere, Penty, rockin' in heaven. Rose Run Quest is there. Here is the French connection. The alerts have won it. Fine. Twinkle takes aim in the passing lane. Now Caviar Alley in full gear outside. Sharton start a feeling. Caviar Alley all out. Sharton digging deep. Sharton's going to dig in here and get the win here. Sharton up on the front end. That none shall pass for Tim Dietrich. Giddy-up. You're tuned in to the official podcast of the Sport of Harness Racing Post Time with Mike and Mike with co-host Mike Carter. Foiled again! Hold on to win! Foiled again, tough as nails! And Mike Bozich. The Iron Horse has cemented his legacy! Welcome on in to Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the United States Trotting Association. Mike Bozich, your host today. Mike Carter will be joining us here in just a few minutes. We have a great show on tap for you today, and uh, we've got a lot of first-timers today. As a matter of fact, the majority of them are first-timers today, and it's always a good thing when you can catch up with first-timers, uh, people making their post-time with Mike and Mike debuts, and they include a young driver who got his very first win of his driving career, a guy that I could certainly relate to because he's got some Michigan connections. That's uh, our man Ron Van Wagner, affectionately known as Cubby. And we're going to talk to him about his first paramutual driving win, plus what he is looking to accomplish in his career. And why do they call him Cubby? I'll give you nine guesses. Ten don't count. Uh, and I would venture to say that it's probably because of the uh, Major League Baseball team that won the World Series a few years back. But nonetheless, we'll get the verification from uh, Cubby Van Wagner coming up towards the top of the hour. Plus, the 
Uh, MSOA Marketing Director Donnell Mock will be joining us, and she's got a lot going on. She's taking her post time with Mike and Mike debut. We're going to talk to her a little bit about what goes on at the Meadows, what uh, her career and job entails, as well as uh, a very interesting horse that will be uh, making his Meadows debut in a couple of weeks. Ireland's uh, let's see if I can get this right here. I I, I know I'll screw up the pronunciation. Uh, Duke de Giza, I believe, is the pronunciation. Ireland's top gelding trotter will be making his uh, Meadows debut coming up in just a few weeks for driver Jack Colleen, who his uh, dream has always uh, been uh, to drive uh, and uh, train successfully here in the States. And uh, he's got a couple of wins. See, I believe he has had 30-some starts last year, uh, seven or eight this year so far. I believe he's got four uh, wins here in the States, uh, but he's going to be getting a heavy hitter, and we're going to talk to uh, Don Elmonk a little bit more about that. Plus, Eric Cherry is going to be joining the program, and Eric Cherry is uh, one of the most well-rounded uh, people in the sport of harness racing as far as what he does. He is part owner of Hongate.com. He is uh, proprietor of Let It Ride Stables. He is bred horses. Uh, for a long, long time, and also he supports the game through the wagering windows, and he's got a lot of ideas about how to make our sport better, uh, you know, and uh, from a, a punter's point of view, from a or gambler's point of view, and, you know, a lot of times we don't, you know, look at it necessarily a lot of times from a gambler's point of view, but uh, Eric Cherry is going to be joining us, so we're going to talk about array an array of topics, including Heston Blue Chip recently just bought a a part of Heston Blue Chip and uh, what a racing career Heston Blue Chip has has had um, over a million dollars as a three-year-old, three-year-old cold pacing of the year and what was a very deep division back in uh, 2013, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, Breeders' Crown champion and uh, is going to be quite a sire, no question about it. It's already Sired some very good horses, including uh, a horse I think that we need to keep an eye on in 2019, Zero Tolerance and some others. So we're going to talk to Eric Cherry about that, plus the dynamic duo of pacing for the cure. Jeff and Janine Gessick will be joining the program. Always good to uh, talk to them. We haven't talked to them in a couple of months, actually, so they're making their 2019 debuts on the show. And a lot going on. Uh, for pacing for the cure coming up in 2019. So we're going to talk to the dynamic duo, Jeff and Gene, about that. Lots going on in this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. But we're going to try to get in touch with Mr. Mike Carter, but I'm not quite sure what, what happened to Mike. Let's see here. Uh, oh, okay, he, he wants, he's going to call in a little bit later on because Atlanta's going on the racetrack now. Mike Carter is... Uh, at the at uh, in Florida, he will be reporting uh, live from Florida, and uh, he's had a chance along with the Harness Racing Fan Zone, Wendy Ross, uh, Mark Hall, Rich Johnson, and the gang to visit some of these uh, training centers down there. They're currently at uh, where Ron Burke trains, and Mike Carter is currently watching Atlanta on the racetrack. So we're going to get uh, kind of a exclusive inside peek at uh, how Atlanta is training. So Mike Carter was going to start the show off with this, but Atlanta's on the racetrack. And, uh, you know, hey, Atlanta takes precedence over post-time with Mike and Mike, no question. So <laughs> he's going to uh, talk to us uh, about uh, at about 11.20 or so uh, about uh, what's going on down there. So we have a jam-packed edition of post-time with Mike and Mike coming up, presented by Bet America. Dawn L. Mock will be joining us here in just a few minutes, and we'll get the ball rolling with her after this timeout. You've got post-time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America 
and the USTA. At BetAmerica, we don't do promotions only for new players. As a regular player at BetAmerica.com, you can take advantage of several promotions each week. Go to BetAmerica.com slash extra and visit our promotions calendar and find out how you can get double wager reward points on our featured tracks. It's just another reason why it's time to play the BetAmerica way. Horse Youth Foundation has the power to bring a life-changing experience to any child. We introduce youth to the horses and skills that build confidence, friendships, and a lifelong love of harness racing. The Harness Horse Youth Foundation has been a positive influence in the lives of thousands of young people since 1976. Check out the complete list of Harness Horse Youth Foundation camps and activities at hhyf.org. That's hhyf.org. New Vocations Resource Adoption Program. Retrain, rehab, rehome. New Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation and transitional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses placed. Learn more at newvocations.org. You're tuned in to the Bet America Radio Network. Host Jason Bean brings you new shows every Monday through Friday. We bring you the best personalities from across the racing world with extensive interviews, commentary, news, games, and more. The Barn is revolutionizing what horse racing radio can be. And you can hear new shows at BetAmerica.com or just search Bet America Radio Network on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Get in the Barn. We're back on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USDA. Mike Bozich, along with Mike Carter. Mike Carter down in Florida watching Atlanta train as we speak. He's going to be calling us uh, a little bit uh, shy of the bottom of the hour. So he's going to call us around 11.20, 11.15 or so, and we're going to talk to him about uh, some of the training centers they've visited. Also, they are putting some fantastic videos. I know they had a chance to visit with uh, Brian Brown at uh, Spring Garden uh, Ranch yesterday. So make sure you follow um, the Harness Racing Fan Zone, like them on Twitter and follow them on Facebook because they are really unleashing some fantastic videos. Good interview with Brian Brown yesterday, so make sure you follow him and check it out. And, of course, the Usual Awards are coming up on Sunday night. Mike Carter uh, will be live from the Usual Awards, so um, make sure you check that out as well. I believe that will be streaming on the Oshawa Facebook page, and it'll be available on the USTA YouTube page on Monday in full. So, and don't forget to join the Heathers, Heather Wilder and Heather Vitale, 
will uh, Heather Vitali, I should say, will be hosting the red carpet, and that'll be on the usual's Facebook page as well. And I'm sure they'll be doing a lot on their own separate Facebook pages. So a lot of coverage coming up for the usual awards coming up on Sunday down in Florida. Without further ado, let's bring in the marketing director of the Meadows Standard Bread Owners Association, Donnell Mike. Donnell, welcome to the program. Your first time on Post Time with Mike and Mike. You're not nervous, are you? A little bit. I'm, I always get a little nervous for interviews. <laughs> oh, well, but I'm listen, we're, to be here. Listen, we're very low-key here. We're very off-the-cuff here, so you have nothing to worry about. But, uh, you know, we're going to get into this. Uh, and this story really intrigued me because over the last year or so in particular, we've seen a lot of horses come from overseas, not only from, you know, Australia, New Zealand, but we're starting to see some of the horses come in from Ireland and from Europe as well. And they are making quite an impact on the racing scene here in the States. So we're going to talk about uh, this horse in particular that's uh, coming to and going to be racing at the Meadows. But let's talk about you first. Let's introduce the harness racing community for those people that don't know who Don Elmock is. Who is Don Elmock? Um, well, I've always been har- uh, harness racing. I was born into it. My dad trained racehorses at the Meadows, so it's something I've always been around. I went to school at Youngstown State, and I graduated with a marketing degree. And, um, you know, I went to the Dan Patch Awards, of, I mean, years ago with Heather Wilder, and I was like, wow, this is great. Like, at the time, I was in school for managing information systems, and I went to a couple of seminars they had about promoting the sport and the social media. And when I got back, I changed my uh, my degree over to marketing because I was like, I, I love this. I want to be able to stay in the sport forever, and, like, I can't be a trainer because I'm not good at that. But this is a way for me to stay in the sport and help the sport grow. So I ended up switching over and just started out when I graduated. The MSOA had a spot open for social media. So I started as just their social media director. And then I worked my way up, and now I do the marketing and put on the events for them. And obviously, marketing is something very important uh, to the sport of harness racing, something that a lot of people will say over the past 10, 15, 20 years that the sport, quite frankly, lacks. But I see a lot of younger people assuming the roles like you do. And, and one of the things, one of the de- definitely the, one of the great things that I've noticed is the fact that racing has a uh, definitely an improved presence on social media. And I would even say a darn good presence in social media. What are some of the marketing uh, tactics that you've brought uh, to the MS- MSOA, some of the ideas that you have to, you know, improve marketing in the sport of racing? You know, when I started, we were lucky enough, we were getting some state money, some state grant money. So with that money, we were able to become a Pittsburgh Penguin Partnership. So our commercials play during their shows um, on the radio and TV. And along if you go to the stadium itself, You'll see our logos up, they'll flash, and sometimes we're in their program. So I think I was lucky enough we did some bus ads. We uh, plastered trailers that say, follow us to the meadows. Um, along, I love the social media. That's probably my favorite thing to do. I mean, it's just a great tool to reach so many people. Giveaways are huge for people to share your stuff. Um, also the biggest thing that I brought to the Meadows was we started wiener dog races three years ago and those are like such a success. It's crazy the amount of people that'll come out and want to enter their dog. And it's just, it's my favorite night we have. 
Yeah, and, and it's kind of interesting, too, because you see racetracks across the country, not only with the wiener dogs, they're very popular, but the camels and the zebras seem to bring people in. And I, I don't know what it is, but it seems like every racetrack that runs these kind of promotions, it's like people flock to it and a lot of new people. Yeah, I uh, was an intern at the Meadowlands, and that was the best night, the camel and ostriches. I mean, I was so excited when the camels came. We got to go over early and pet them and stuff. So it's so exciting to see different animals that you don't see in everyday life and bring them into the racetrack. So I love that Meadowlands always did that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, there's no petting the ostriches. They just look mean. I don't know what it is. They just don't look like the, the friendliest creatures at all. But I'll tell you what, they put on a great show, and, and people love them. Donnell, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about this horse that is coming in. Uh, I've read the USDA article. I know I'm going to screw up the name. Uh, Duke de Giza, I believe, is the, the horse's name. But he's a top gelding trotter um, in Ireland. And uh, he's going to be uh, handled by Jack Colleen, who's uh, who's been driving at the Meadows, uh, not overly often, but does have some starts there. What can you tell us about this horse and what kind of uh, impact he'll make on the racing scene at the Meadows? I mean, I'm really excited to see him over here. Uh, he was supposed to be here by now, but he got delayed in one of his quarantines coming over. I think he was delayed in Amsterdam, but he's supposed to be here by the end of the month. Um, Jack's really excited and ready to get right into jogging and training them and have them ready uh, right away. As soon as he's here, I think it'll switch it up. You know, we're always looking for more horses. We race all year round. So it's nice when you get a new horse in there to switch up the racing and, you know, it makes it interesting. And he was undefeated in Ireland, which Jack told me not to put in the article because he didn't want me to jinx him. So uh, it'll be interesting to have him over here because you don't see it. I mean, we get a lot of New Zealand horses, but this will be the first since I've started a horse from Ireland coming over. So I'm very excited to see how he does. Yeah, no question about it. It's always interesting to see how these type of horses, you know, kind of, you know, assimilate to the the North American atmosphere because there there is definitely a change. I mean, it's a change in weather. It's a change in racing style. You know, a lot of times horses over there are used to going different kind of distances. But this has to mean a lot to to Jack Colleen. I know he said in the article that you know it's kind of his dream to be successful here in the states. So this this has to mean something to Jack, huh? Yeah, you can tell he's excited. I mean, he's such a great guy to be around. He is always so happy and excited, like just super bubbly. I've never seen him in a bad mood since he's been here. So I'm excited for him, and I hope this horse does great things for him here. I mean, he's a gorgeous-looking horse, too. Yeah, I've seen some of the pictures. Yeah, no question. Donnell, before we let you go, uh, obviously you guys are very active on social media. Um, As you said, the Meadows races year-round. So, you know, give us – tell us what live racing days there are at the Meadows, first of all, what days they race, number one. And number two, tell us how we could follow you guys on uh, social media. Yeah, so you can follow us. Um, We're at the MSOA on Twitter and Instagram, and then just Meadows Standard Bread Owners Association on Facebook. Um, we race currently Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sundays at 105. And then we it switches in uh, March. Is March 10th is our last Sunday, and then it goes back to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. So if you just follow us on social media, I'll keep you up to date when we're racing because we do switch it up sometimes. 
Fantastic. And, of course, Donnell, recently another ownership change at the Meadows with Penn Gaming taking the helm. Chris McElwain, Mark Lowy now is uh, is a new boss over there, so to speak. Relationship right now good between the MSOA and the the new uh, ownership? Yeah, it's great. We uh, had a meeting when Mark started, and we got to know him a little bit. And then we have a marketing committee for the MSOA, so we get to meet with um, the head people over there, you know, It'll be Mark now that he started, but it used to be Kevin and Tasha. So it's a good relationship. We meet with them once a month and kind of discuss where we're going, what we can do, and the events that we're going to put on. I had a chance to sit with, uh, no, Chris McElwain pretty well. had a chance to sit with Chris at the uh, Pennsylvania uh, Horseman Awards Banquet. Really, really good guy. I mean, just a great guy. Don Elwell, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Best of luck to you uh, as, uh, at the helm at the marketing director of the MSOA. It'll be interesting to see what uh, Duke de Giza will uh, be able to accomplish on the racetrack at the Meadows. Thanks, Don Elwell. Yeah, thank you. All right, that was the uh, marketing director of the MSOA, Donnell Mock, and uh, Duke de Giza. Yeah, a lot of these horses now, not only coming from – I mean, we're kind of used to them coming from Australia, New Zealand. But, you know, th- these horses starting to come from Europe now, uh, from Ireland, you know, from different parts of the world. It's always very interesting to see how they adjust. Some don't. Some flat out don't adjust. I mean, we have kind of seen our share of disappointments you know, over the, the last few years, horses that came here with a lot of hype and, and didn't race particularly well uh, for whatever reason. And then we've seen horses come here that have just fit in like a glove. So it's always interesting to see uh, how horses like this do. Eric Cherry's in the on-deck circle. Eric, uh, like I say, is one of the most well-rounded people in the sport of harness racing in terms of contributions and what he's accomplished. And we're going to talk to Eric about that, including one of my favorite horses, Heston Blue Chip. He's now part of uh, the ownership team with him and uh, a great racing career for Heston Blue Chip. And he is going to be a tremendous sire, uh, already is, already has produced uh quite a few nice horses so we're going to talk to eric about that plus uh cubby van wagner will be joining us going to talk about his first driving win at northfield park in his uh, career looking forward plus the guest six pacing for the Q segment returns first one of 2019 and mike carter live from florida that is all next on this busy edition of post time with mike and mike presented by bet america and the usta attention all breeding funds Did you know Pacing for the Cure has a stud fee for scooter program? Your stud fee donations will help those living with MS with severe mobility limitations obtain a scooter and be able to continue to enjoy their love of harness racing. Contact Jeff at pacingforthecure.org if you'd like to make a donation. Mike? In case you haven't noticed, Mr. Bill G. has begun pacing for the cure for multiple sclerosis. Join in on the fun and weekly contest on Facebook to guess where he will place in each race. Like and share our page. Great prizes available for the lucky winners. Better yet, come out to the racetrack and watch him race live. Let's start a Mr. Bill G. fan club and start blogging on the journey page of the pacingforthecure.org website. Once again, that's pacingforthecure.org. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877 800 87 
1-800-682-8582, extension 5555. Winback Farms welcomes three new stallions in 2019. New to New York, Boston Red Rocks, one of the 2015 Dan Patch Award for two-year-old pacing colts, and a Breeders' Crown champion. New to Pennsylvania, 34-time winner Heston Blue Chip, one of the Dan Patch Awards for three-year-old colt pacers and a Breeders' Crown champion. Also the sire of the second richest two-year-old Philly pacer of 2018, Zero Tolerance. And new to Ontario, my MVP, a proven sire of stakes winners, including Good Times Trot winner Wolfgang. For more information, go to winbackfarm.com. That's winbackfarm.com. We're back on this busy, busy Thursday here at Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USTA. Still lots left to come on this edition. Eric Cherry's in the on-deck circle. Cubby Ben Wagner will be joining us. Mike Carter's down in Florida. We're going to hear from him. He's currently watching Atlanta train. Also, uh, the guests, Jeff and Janine, the dynamic duo of pacing for the cure, will be checking in for the first time in 2019. Tell us what's going on with pacing for the cure. But right now, we're joined by Eric Cherry. Eric, Listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us. I hope I gave you a good enough introduction because I do believe that you are one of the most well-rounded people in the sport of harness racing in terms of uh, the contributions you've made throughout the years. Welcome in, buddy. Good morning. How are you? Doing fantastic. Uh, er Listen, a lot of people may not know because i think you've you've i mean certainly you've you've written a lot of editorials you've got a lot of great ideas i think for the sport of harness racing but still a lot of people may not know who you are so i'll give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself who, who is eric cherry and what, what have been uh, some of your uh, contributions of the sport throughout the years okay so i got involved in the sport originally in 1972 um you know just claiming horses and just totally we used to go to roseville raceway and fell in love with the whole sport it it became an addiction some people say you know worse than drugs because not even working on a cure but i'm just totally (laughs) hooked on it you know just totally hooked on it and um so over the years you know i went up the ranks i had claimers and then i just started getting more and more involved where i became a broker uh sold a lot of horses in the 80s but then um it was very frustrating that i couldn't get results or even hear the races you know, where with sports, people just want to get a result. I mean, what's the score if they miss the game? With race, people want to hear the race. You know, they want to hear the excitement. Win or lose, you know, they just want to hear it. So I, I, there was no way to find out. There was no internet, obviously. There was no satellites. So we set up something called the National Race Line, which were the 900 numbers. And actually, it was one of the first 900 numbers in the United States, where we covered every racetrack across the country for people that weren't around in the late 80s and early 90s. And for about 15 years, we were the primary way that people got the results or got to hear the race when they weren't at the track. Um, Then later on, realized, you know, with the technology going the way it was, that there was really no online presence to buy or sell horses, you know. Um, so we set up OnGate.com, me and a partner of mine, Maurice Kodash, and we set up um, OnGate.com where not only you could list your horse, but you're familiar, you could do auctions. As a matter of fact, Atlanta just sold mm-hmm. on our site, you know, for right. a million, five fifty. And even though uh, th- th- three of the five betters, I'm sorry, three of the five owners bought back, there were bids all the way up to the last number from outside parties. 
uh, at that number. I used to own the South Florida Trotting Center, which I sold a few years ago, um, and I have currently over 160 horses, both broodmares, racehorses, um, you know, babies, you name it. So, yes, I'm very involved. And one of the horses that you recently brought into uh, a part of uh, Heston Blue Chip, and uh, listen, uh, saw Heston Blue Chip race. I mean, what an amazing career, especially that three-year-old campaign, which uh, <laughs> featured a, yeah. a, a light group, so to speak, right? That was a heavy-hitting group that yeah, you know, ab- he had to go against, no question. And, uh, yeah. But Breeders' Crown champion, three-year-old, uh, you know, Colt Pacer of the Year, despite that deep group. Uh, you know, he's a New York uh, Pacing Colt of the Year for a two-year-old, I believe, uh, you know, had that big million-dollar season as a three-year-old, just a tremendous, tremendous racehorse. Yeah, well, what happened, you know, there is that I started looking around. I'm breeding this year, somewhere about 75 mares. So I started looking around to see who am I going to breed them to. And I'm breeding some to Sweet Lou and some to Captain Treacherous and would like. But there's really no sire that necessarily crossed the American ideal or Western ideal line that's getting scarce. And I looked around, and all of a sudden, you know, I came across Heston Blue Chip. I remembered him, obviously, but we didn't really see him at stud very often. And I was still looking at everything. He checked off every box. He beat a group as a favorite, as you just said, of, you know, the Breeders' Crown and the season of the top horses, including Sweet Lou, Rock Roll Dance, uh, Thinking Out Loud, Bolt the Door, Michael's Power. You know, he beat them. He's from a great family going back to the I mean, American Ideal, Western Ideal line. And on, but on the maternal side, he goes back to the same family as Rock and Image, Tell Like It Is, uh, Rock and Amadeus, uh, Kissing in the Sand. Um, every year I had a feeling called I'm Trigger Happy. Just one, you know, stake performer after the other. So, and according to Tim Tietrich, one of the smartest horses he ever drove. So I'm sitting there, I'm checking off every box. I'm saying, you know, I go, all these mares, all these mares buy some beach or buy other things, you know, that you can't go back to some of these stallions. I'm saying there's really nowhere to breed them. And I'm looking, I'm saying, why isn't this horse getting more attention? So I put my money where my mouth is. I bought a substantial piece of the horse. And I started breeding some very good mares to him last year. And lo and behold, out of a very small crop, he ended up with zero tolerance this year, which um, you know, went back actually bred. And right. um, I have a lot of high hopes for the horse. I mean, I think that, you know, he got off, um, he was standing in New York. Now he's in Pennsylvania, which get the lucrative you know, breeding awards as well as, but I think he's going to hold his own plus. Visiting with Eric Cherry. Now, Eric, uh, the people that are listening in that may not be so familiar with the breeding aspect of it, you, you, you use some terminology there that people might not be familiar with when you uh, talk about, uh, you know, uh, I mean, lines and, and crossings and okay. this and that as a breeder can you kind of expound on that sure. maybe tell some of the people that aren't you know familiar with breeding what that kind of means and what you look for yes absolutely first you know there's an old saying if you breed the best to the best and you hope for the best so you know you look for there are certain families that keep producing champions and other ones you get once and then that's it so if you go back three or four generations, especially on the mother's side, the maternal side, you look for um, not only you look for performance, but percentage of performance. You know, and today with how fast the races go, time really is not an indicator any longer how good the family is. It's really who does well in stake races. In the U.S., we breed primarily to get horses that are good at two and three obviously we want horses to be good for four five and six but the breeders 
uh, in order for them to sell their yearlings for significant money, have to have their progeny do well as young horses. So what we do is we look for a combination of solid pedigrees and performance on both the mother and the father's side. Uh, you know, some people say the maternal is 60%. Who knows what the real number is? But you really, in this day and age, there's so much competition that you really can't afford not to have the best, especially because six, if you, somebody gave me six inches in every race, right, for my yeah. horses, I'd give, them, right. I'd give them a half a million dollars a year. Because people don't realize, you know, when you have four across the wire, you're going for half a million dollars, what six inches can mean, right? So every little bit helps. So you really want to get the best stallion to your best mare that you have. But also, you don't want to be so inbred that you have um, problems because the more inbreeding you do when you breed with relatives that are close, you know, you sometimes you get something very good, but you also also um, multiply uh, the, the problems, whether it's throat issues or soundness issues. You know, it's the same thing. Um, you know, so, so basically you, you look for the best stallion that has a combination of performance, confirmation, and percentages that cross well. Eric, let's uh, let's talk about some of the people that you know say that we. And this is a, a thoroughbred thing too, that we need to find a way to keep our horses on the racetrack beyond four, five, and six. Well, where where do you kind of stand to that? And I know you know it's, I know it's well, a it's a lot of it's a business thing, but uh, do you believe our our stars need to be on the racetrack a little longer? Well, I, I guess we should have mandatory gelding when they're two. That would take care of it. Um, no, I, I, I just think I, that was half a joke. Um, I think that, truthfully, you know, the economics are such that we have to be real, that it's great to sit back and say we want to see these horses race longer, which who doesn't? But from an economic standpoint, if, if you're fortunate enough to get a horse that's um, good at that age and he can be syndicated or sold, you really have almost no choice to do it. But I think there are other things we need to do. You know, everyone knows that there's a shortage of horses for the races. I really don't even call it a shortage. It's really an imbalance. Because obviously, if we get one racetrack, we have plenty of horses, right? So I think we have, what we have to do is stimulate more horses being bred. And how do we do that? Well, there's a limit that you can only breed 140 or 160 mares a year in the U.S. So even if there were more mares to breed, there's a limit of stallions. So what we need to do is get more of the quote-unquote overnight horses bred that might not be able to compete at the top levels of two and three, but we have to give them an opportunity to make some money to encourage the breeders to keep breeding. So what yeah. we need to do is have stake races set up for just the, I want to call them the bottom tier, but stallions, so let's say, I'm, I'm picking an arbitrary number, but let's say a stud fee of $2,500 and less. And we should have races at two and three just for those horses, those offspring. And that would encourage more people at the level to breed. And then I think you'd see more stars later because they wouldn't necessarily have the most value as stallions, but they'd be great on the racetrack too. Visiting with Eric Cherry. Eric, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, you obviously like to handicap the horses as well. You contribute uh, through the ra- through the uh, the wagering windows, the mutual windows as well. And a lot of people may not know maybe the survivor uh, bet that we see at the Meadowlands. Tell us about how that came about, uh, where that idea came from, and uh, okay. what you think of its performance so far. 
Okay, so the reason, you know, as a handicapper or as a better, you know, when you see a big pool, um, you know, it, a big, whether it's a carryover or a guarantee, whatever it is, there's still a limit to how much you want to put into that bet because you could have a $2 million payout or a million, right, I had a Woodbine a few times in my walk, a million dollars, but it could still end up paying $1,200 or $800 if all the favorites come in. So I wanted to come up with a bet where – uh, the better was sure that if they picked the right combination, they would take the whole pool. So when they bet, they could bet with confidence that they have an upside, right? Because otherwise, if you put 10000 or 5000 or 3000 whatever your number is, into a bet that pays less than, um, you know, it pays less than you put into it, no matter what, you come away with a pretty bad feeling. I won, but I lost, right? So the idea was to come up with a bet where it was the only bet that n not only – could you win? You would win the whole bet if you're the only winning ticket. But on top of that, um, you know, basically on top of that, that it's the only bet that you have to pick winners, not just long shots to make money. Because every other bet out there, the only way you make a lot of money for a small better is if you pick long shots. Here, it doesn't matter if the horse is one to nine. You, if you don't pick the winner, you don't go to the next leg. So here, you, it's really incumbent to pick winners even if it's the favorites. And that's really the best handicapping where you're not going against your instincts because you have to have a long shot to win, but you're really handicapping to pick the winner. So that was the idea behind it. Eric, as far as how it's doing, it's, yeah. it, you know, it's, it does between 12 and 25,000 a night. Um, I think with a little more time exposure, when people get used to how it really plays out, I think it'll grow. But I, I'll tell you this, what a lot of people or racetracks have to understand when I handicap that bet, I'm, I'm forced to handicap 10 races. Right. So there's many races that I would have passed on betting because they didn't excite me. But since I did the work already, I actually bet. So for the racetracks themselves, and, um, and this is why I'm a little surprised other tracks have not picked it up yet, is that for the racetracks themselves, even though the direct uh, pool might be fifteen or $20,000, I bet probably 25% more just because I'm betting races, I would normally pass because I already did the work. Yeah, and I think you, I, that, and that's that could be said for multi-race wages too. I mean, if you're handicapped at a yes. fixed five and you're out in the first leg, you're not going to let the work that you've done on the other four races go to waste. You know, uh, you, right. you're like more than likely going to bet those yeah. races. But yeah. from a handicapper's uh, point of view, from a handicapper's point. Maybe structuring that you know survivor better, or structuring a pick five or a pick four. What are some of the things that you do when you attack races like that, and how do you kind of structure your tickets? Is there any like magic bullet or anything that you use in well, particular? Well, basically, you know, when it comes to certain types of bets, you have to see where the weak points or strong points are. And something like a survivor bet, obviously, if you get knocked out early you know, you're out where like a pick three or pick four or pick six, it doesn't matter which leg you lose. And other than the entertainment value, you know, it doesn't matter which leg you lose in this bet. It does. So obviously you want to be more top heavy at the beginning of the bet. And depending what your bankroll is, you know, you still want to be more top heavy early just so you survive and give yourself a shot later on. Yeah, good good stuff. Well, Eric, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us, but before we let you go, uh, what are some of the horses maybe uh, from Let It Ride that uh, we could be looking out for in 2019? Well, um, well, that's a good question. Um, we have a couple, uh, let's see, I'd say my, I have a filly named Twinkle, who's in the matchmaker, 
who had a couple of, you know, liver issues and things last year. Uh, she didn't race until she was four, and she was, I think, undefeated or maybe lost one race. But she's a pretty nice horse. Um, we also have a filly named Freakonomics, who was a homebred out of my area called Mind Boggling, um, who might be a notch below, but good. And we have a couple of green horses at Yonkers that race Monday. Um, and actually, uh, they both won a filly named Miss You, who looks like she has potential going up the ladder, as well as... Um, uh, she's Pucka. Don't ask me what it means. She's from Australia. I have no clue. Right. But her name is She's Pucka, and she looks like a pretty nice horse. Very good. Well, Eric, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us, and we really appreciate your contributions to the sport of harness racing. Great stuff. We'll have to have you on again real soon. Anytime. Uh, thanks for having me. All right. That was Eric Cherry. Just a, an all-around contributor, I mean, from the breeding aspect to the owning aspect to, you know, uh, hey, making plays at the Mutual Windows, being one of uh, Harness Racing's staunchest supporters through the Mutual Windows. Uh, and I'll tell you, he, he bought a part of Heston Blue Chip. What a, what a great investment I think uh, Heston Blue Chip is going to be. If the early returns are any indication of, of what kind of uh, sire career he is going to have, it's uh, He's going to be a good one. A great racehorse, $1.7 in career earnings. So congrats to uh, Eric on getting on the Heston Blue Chip bandwagon. Still lots left to come on this edition of Post Time with Mike. Goodbye. Cubby Van Wagner is going to be joining us. We're going to find out where the name Cubby came from. I know. Everybody probably knows. But you got to hear it from Mr. Van Wagner himself. Plus, Jeff and Janine Gassick, Mike Carter, will be joining us in just a few minutes. He is going to uh, report live from Florida. He was um, watching Atlanta train as he was going to call us at 1030, but Atlanta came on the racetrack. So we said, you know what, Mike, get out there, watch Atlanta, tell us what you see, call us back, give us the skinny. So that's what's uh, that's what Mike's going to do. Still lots left to come on this edition. Mr. Van Wagner's in the on-deck circle. We'll talk about his first driving with at Northfield and much more up next on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USTA. Looking to bet on great racing from around the country and around the world? There's no better place than BetAmerica.com. But there's also no better time to join because right now we're offering a 100% sign-up bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. Simply open a new account at BetAmerica, make your first deposit, and we'll add your bonus immediately. It's that easy. Sign up today at BetAmerica.com. Post time, gates moving. They're off and it is on. Every year, the Harness Horse Youth Foundation travels the country to share the love of harness racing with the next generation. The Harness Horse Youth Foundation educates, introducing youth to new friends and opportunities. The Harness Horse Youth Foundation has been a positive influence in the lives of thousands of young people since 1976. Learn how you can support bringing kids and horses together, building a stronger future for the sport. Visit hhyf.org. That's hhyf.org. Mike Bozich here along with Mike Carter for Pacing for the Cure. Do you or someone you love with multiple sclerosis have a difficult time paying for your MS medications or need medical equipment such as a wheelchair or scooter? Pacing for the Cure can help. Please visit the pacingforthecure.org website and complete the mobility aid application. If eligible, you may receive funding. Again, that's pacingforthecure.org. Mike? Are you a harness racing trainer, driver, or owner? Please join the list of those who pledged in 2017 for the $1 per win challenge. 
The 2018 challenge has begun and wins tally from January 1st through October 31st. If you are interested in joining the challenge, please email Jeff at pacingforthecure.org. Thank you, drivers, trainers, and owners. Once again, that's pacingforthecure.org. Back on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Mike Bozich, Mike Carter will be joining me in just a few minutes. But right now we're going to be joined by a gentleman who goes by the name of Cubby. Cubby Van Wagner. Ron Van Wagner. Uh, if uh, you, look, you look at the well, – I, I guess you're Cubby now on the program, aren't you? you know, no more Ron. Yeah, nah, yeah, I'm Cubby now. Uh, when I started driving a little bit more – uh, obviously, my dad's name is, is Ron, so right. uh, we had two Rons in the program, and I got a hold of a uh, lady at USTA. I said, is there anything we can do to, to switch this up? And she goes, well, what do you want? And I says, well, everyone knows me as Cubby, and you know, just like that, we had it switched over. Where does it come from? Well, I think I know. I think everybody knows, but the, just to be officially on the record, where does the nickname Cubby come from? So when I was born, uh, I, mean, I don't know how to put this uh, – when I was getting ready to cry, I guess I made noises that sounded like a baby bear growling. And uh, my mom is the one that actually gave me the nickname, said so sounds like a bear cub. And uh, you know, ever since then, uh, everyone called me Cubby. I mean, I've had it all throughout school. I mean, I had professors in college even calling me Cubby. It was you know, it just it stuck with me, and I'll have it the rest of my life. Now, I just assumed – now, this was bad, a bad assumption. I just assumed that you must have been a diehard Chicago Cub fan, but I guess I was wrong. No, no. I mean, I was always a fan just because of the, you know, the name, the Cubs, Cubby. But, uh, no, big Tigers fan. Always have been, always will be. <laughs> yeah, we're, in down, we're in a little bit, little bit of a down, down year right now, a couple years. But, uh, you know, I like Garden Hire. I think, uh, I think they're on the right path. All right. Well, listen, it's always good to speak to, you know, a Detroiter, uh, <clears throat> somebody, you know, from Michigan, Michigan roots, a name, you know, I certainly remember, obviously, your dad being a trainer there. And, uh, you know, I mean, such a shame what's happened to Michigan racing with uh, Hazel Park. I mean, a place I've been at for 10 years doesn't even exist anymore. I mean, honestly, I don't even have the heart to drive by 10 mile into Quinder anymore with, without, you know, looking and seeing another building there for crying out loud. But tell us a little bit about your early days, uh, you know, like, kind of in the state of Michigan and, uh, you know, making uh, the move to Ohio. Well, um, you know, really I, growing up, I hated horses. Uh, the last thing I wanted to do was, was go to the barn and clean stalls with my dad. And, uh, you know, I think it was, I was 19 or 20 years old and he was racing at, at Windsor and then Hazel in the summer. And I, uh, I said, you know, I want to go. I said, I want to go to the races. So I got bit by the bug as soon as I, as soon as I went the first time and, you know, sitting up in the grandstand at Hazel park during the summer. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't beat that. That was the best place to be on a Friday or Saturday night. Um, so I did that and uh, I started cleaning stalls, jogging horses. Uh, my dad didn't really want me driving. And uh, he wanted me to go to college, finish school. Um, then he eventually moved to Buffalo. We raced out the Western New York circuit for a while. Um, that's where I kind of started to figure out, like, hey, I want to drive. This is what I want to do. Um, and then we just kind of bounced around a little bit. Um, I started working for Brian Brown. And that's how I really, that's how I really ended up in Ohio. Um, I helped him down in Florida at the Delaware Stable. 
And then um, just, I think it was in November, I decided to take my dad's horses to Northfield and I set up shop here and you know, I, I love it here. I, I plan on being here for a long time. I'll tell you what, one of the things about harness racing is you, you got to be set to travel and move. And, you know, listen, you're a young guy. And I think uh, just in the last 20 words, you mentioned about five or six states that you've oh. been to, you know, moving all around. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if the economic climate would have been better in Michigan, we probably all would have stayed there. But, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, we had to move around. But you've landed at Ohio. You've landed at Northfield Park. Uh, that's where you got your uh, first driving win uh, just the other day. And that had to be a good feeling for you. Yeah. Yeah, it was. You know, I, you know, it's, it's a good group of guys in the drivers' room, and they always would remind you, like, hey, you don't have a win yet. Like, uh, <laughs> they they made sure that you knew you didn't have a win. So, you know, I'm about 40 starts in, and finally the draw comes out, and they Kurt Sugg was probably the first one to say something. So you can't lose, and the black cat right away. And uh, you know, it it was fun. It was good to finally get it over with. Just a huge relief. Um, but you know it. It's it was one thing I'll never forget. Everyone wants to everyone wants to joke around. Ronnie and Aaron wasn't in the race, so it was kind of like, oh, you were a shoe in, you know. It's, <laughs> but it was it, it was good. I'm looking forward to number two. You know, I'd like to win one with one of my dad's horses next. I always thought I was going to get my first win with one of his because he was the one that gave me the opportunity to drive the most. But uh, hey, I'll take him any way I can get him. You know, we had Kurt Sugg on the show about, gosh, it's probably been a good year, year and a half now, and uh, we asked him about. Uh, the Northfield Park driving room, and he said, "Well, a lot of times it's equivalent to a kindergarten class romper room." Is what he said. I mean, just and he said it lighthearted. I mean, a lot of joking around, a very you know fun atmosphere, a light atmosphere, especially with guys like Aaron and Ronnie around. What's it? Some of those guys at Northfield Park, especially such a unique track, I think to drive at with you know the the turns being is banked banked as severely as they are. Extremely, extremely tough. Um, I mean, you're driving against guys that have, you know, grand circuit experience. You know, you've got guys that drove at Yonkers and, and uh, you know, Grismore, Goodell, Aaron, Ronnie. It, it, it's tough to drive against that, that crowd, um, you know, especially when they've got so much more experience and you're just trying to learn, you're trying to put yourself in the best body you possibly can. But, uh, you know, it, it, the, the turns, I don't even – like, obviously I haven't really drove much. Um, so the turns are natural to me. I, I, I feel comfortable on them. Now, if you put me on a mile track, it'd be a different story, but, uh, um, no, it, 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 it's fun. It, it's a, it's a good experience. Um, it, we'll, we'll see where it takes me. I, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really sure if I'm going to do this rest of my life for the next five years, but, uh, you know, I like what I'm doing right now. So I'm just going to stick with it. And that's what I was going to ask you. That's a good segue. Maybe what comes next for uh, Cubby Van Wagner. And I'll, I'll throw this question in with it as well, because you, you kind of answered that one already, but uh, looking ahead, I mean, as a trainer or a driver or both, what would be the dream race for uh, Cubby Van Wagner to take home? Oh God. Oh, that's tough. Um, let's just <laughs> little brown jug. I would have to say a little brown jug just because I've been there the last four or five years. That's where I really got a taste of, of the top drivers, the the best horses, the best trainers. Um, I'm sure that's everyone's, every, everyone's dream, you know, in Ohio. If, they, if you grew up in Ohio, it's, you want to win the little brown jug. Um, you know, if I ever had the opportunity, that would be amazing. Um, but Hey, just, just to win five races, I'll be happy with that. It doesn't have to be anything special. Cubby, before we let you go, tell us about uh, maybe a couple of horses we can watch out for from the Van Wagner stable moving forward. 
Well, uh, you know, we've got, we've got 10 horses in the barn right now. Um, you know, we're kind of going through a rough patch right now cause they're all up in class and it's, you know, kind of snug. It's a little tough. Um, let's see. I think, uh, natural forces, he's got the two hole on Monday. Uh, he drops down in class. Uh, he's got a pretty good chance and you know, he's got enough gate speed to where he can put himself into play and, you know, he's an old class horse. So you, I, you know him from Michigan back in the day. He's, mm-hmm. He'll eventually be a Hall of Famer. But, um, you know, him and, you know, we've got another one, Kacken and Coke, who's racing pretty well, but he's up in class. Um, got a lot in on Tuesday. Copper Coast, he'll be dropping down. Um, he got a little TLC this week, and, uh, you know, we'll hope that he gets a good trip. And, you know, we'll see. We just got a bunch of overnight horses, no babies. Um, I'm really not a big baby fan. I like I like the old classy horses, so. Now, hopefully, hopefully they keep racing well, and you know we keep being successful. You know, looking at the pro, I was looking at the Northfield program the other day, and I was so thrilled to see T Red still racing. <laughs> that was yeah. so I mean, holy moly, that horse six, seven, eight years ago. I remember calling him at Azo Park. I mean, a top flight horse. I mean, he was in the invite yeah. race and everything. A great, great horse. Yes, I was actually just flipping through on YouTube, and I come across a race where, you know, you were calling it, and Wando was in there, and Jeff got, and that's, <laughs> right. you know, her old horse, and T-Red, and uh, Milwaukee Ray, and I'm like, man, I can't believe this T-Red's still racing, but he, he's still going strong. You know, it's obviously, he's not he's not going to get as much uh, recognition as Foiled again, because he didn't make millions of dollars, but right. I tell you what, he's he's done it the hard way, and he just keeps chugging along. No question about it. Cubby, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us, my man. Best of luck to you going forward, and uh, always good to talk to a, a brother from the state of Michigan. Well, uh, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. And uh, I, I wish Mike Carter could have been on here, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll shoot him a text message here and tell him thanks for having me. Now, you know what? Listen, he's down in Florida soaking up the sun, so we're we're an afterthought to him right now. Hey, he's just down there. He's just down there living the dream. Yeah, and, you know, I'm up here in, in Ohio right now. That's actually not a bad day right now, so I can't complain. All right, buddy. Well, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us, buddy. All right, thanks, Mike. Have a good day. All right, that was uh, Cubby Van Wagner. Uh, really a, a nice young man. Uh, got his first driving win a couple of days ago at Northfield Park, and the future appears bright for one Cubby Van Wagner. Well, Mike Carter's on a very tight schedule. I see the old 601 number joining the program right now, so we better bring him in before we lose him to another superstar horse out in training. Mike, how are you? <laughs> it's been uh, it's not too bad. It's been a lot of fun uh, seeing uh, some of the big horses. All right, so listen, you're down in Florida. You uh, are, along with the Harness Racing Fan Zone, you're kind of doing the, the training center tours, and you guys had a chance to talk to Brian Brown yesterday at Spring Garden. We were going to have you right at the top right at the top of the program to join us, but the, you had to run in for very good reason because uh, the uh, Hamiltonian <laughs> champion was out on the racetrack, and you had a chance to see her train firsthand. So let's start with that. How did she look, and uh, you know what are maybe some of the takeaways that, uh, that, that you can get from her at this time? You know, she looked really fresh on the racetrack. I know trainer Ron Burke was very happy with the way she performed on the racetrack today. Uh, looking at her training well, Wendy Ross and I were kind of talking uh, during our live. And, you know, one of the things I said to Wendy was it doesn't look like she's lost a step. And there's always that maturity factor from three to four. And you wonder how they're going to come back. And I'll tell you what, uh, she looked really sharp on the track. Well, that's what Verlin Yoder uh, told us when we had him on the show talking about Woodside Charm. Obviously, she's going from two to three. But, you know, it was just my assumption that from two to three was the biggest adjustment period. And that's not the case. Verlin said it's, it's three to four. 
Yeah, it is. It's uh, you know when you step up because you got to face some of the older horses like those five and six year old uh, older pacers and trotters depending on the division you're in. That that's where things kind of get tough, Mike. And you know, like I said before, she you know she could always get on the racetrack and you know maybe she lost a step or what have you, but it didn't look like she had lost a step at all. It looked like she's bounced back into form. It looks like she's ready to go. Tell us about yesterday. You guys had a chance to uh, go to Spring Garden. Uh, Brian Brown was uh, one of your guys' interviews yesterday. As, as a matter of fact, uh, if you want to catch that interview, you could uh, follow uh, Harness Racing fans on, on both uh, Facebook and Twitter. But a uh, relatively quiet year last year for Brian Brown, considering the year before when he had the two monster paces. But uh, what did Brian have to say? Yeah, you know, he's got 80 head. He said he was happy with the 80 that he's got. Um, he said that he could handle up to 100, but the 80 that he's got is pretty good. He's got proof ready to rock and roll. Uh, working on a mystery, uh, who is a very nice horse, uh, raced on, excuse me, in the Breeders' Crown Eliminations, uh, is another very nice horse that he has. And, you know, we talked about working on a mystery with him yesterday. And while working on a mystery has a little bit of an attitude problem, uh, so to speak, uh, I'll tell you what, it looks like a very nice racehorse. When do you think we'll start seeing some of these horses? Obviously, a lot of them are down in Florida training right now. A lot of the two-year-olds and three-year-olds ready, ready for action. Obviously, we won't see the two-year-olds till what, May or, or June. But uh, like some of these uh, three, maybe even some of the older horses that are in training right now down there, when do you expect to kind of see some of them start to surface on the racing scene? It's tough to say, but probably within the next month or so, probably April, the middle of May, uh, they'll start qualifying back and get ready to roll. Now, the reason you're down in Florida is because the Dan Patch Awards are coming up pretty quickly. They're coming up uh, on Sunday, and obviously you're going to play a, a big role in that for uh, both Ushua and the USGA in the Harness Racing Fan Zone. What are some of the things we can expect uh, from the Dan Patch Awards, the 2019 version? Yeah, the 2019 Dan Patch Awards coming up this weekend. We'll f- finally find out who Horse of the Year is. I know who I'm rooting for. Um, and We'll also have uh, the presentation of awards like the Breakthrough Award, the Proximity Award, Driver and Trainer of the Year. Uh, it will be on Facebook Live on the United States Harness Writers um, page on Sunday night beginning at 7 o'clock. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of great people down here. Yeah, I was just going to ask you. Okay, so we could we could watch it on the Ushua uh, Facebook page along with the red carpet. Heathers, the, the Heathers will be doing their thing again. That's always fun time and uh and then it'll be available uh by the ust on youtube on the monday right correct it'll be available on youtube uh following the uh broadcast so right. you can find it on the usta's youtube page immediately i i don't want to say immediately following it'll probably be sunday morning when it uh when it goes up officially and we also mike got to check in with the greatest of all time foiled again while we were here we actually just left uh his round pan a few minutes ago Oh wow! How's Foyle uh, looking? He looks good. Uh, he's in, Ronnie said he's enjoying retirement. Uh, Devin Miller rode him 15 miles the other day, uh, so he's handling life well as a riding horse. Very good. Well, Mike, we'll let you get back to work, buddy. Once again, follow them at the Harness Racing Fan Zone. Lots of good interviews. Lots of good stuff from the training centers uh, down in Florida. Mike, we'll let you get back to work, buddy. All right, buddy. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, Mike. It's not like Mike was riding a horse just now. 
the horse you almost hit him or something. But uh, nonetheless, uh, thanks, Mike Carter, for joining us and uh, filling us in. We've got uh, another segment left to come on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. We're going to take one final timeout, and this is how we're going to end the show because uh, uh, we're going to hear from our good friends Jeff and Janine Gessick, uh, pacing for the cure. We're going to let them close out the show uh, today, and uh, a, a real good interview with them as far as what is coming up in 2019 for pacing for the cure and you talk about a a great cause you talk about an organization that has really picked up momentum over the past couple of years 2019 is going to be bigger and better than ever they've got some new programs new incentives trying to get fans involved trying to get stables involved as well so you're not going to want to miss that and that is coming up next so this will be uh well with the exception of the uh the taped interview. This will be the last time you hear my voice. Don't forget uh, pay, um, the Ushua Awards. You can watch them live on the Ushua Facebook page. So make sure you mark that on your calendar. And then the uh, very next day or shortly thereafter, the broadcast, if you missed it, you can catch it on the USTA YouTube page. That's coming up this weekend. So you're definitely going to want to mark your calendar, set an alarm, and you're not going to want to miss that. We will be on the air at 10.30 a.m. coming up next Thursday with another great edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike. So on behalf of everybody here at Post Time with Mike and Mike, we're going to take one final commercial break. Then we're going to hear from Pacing for the Cure. Then we're going to wrap things up. We certainly appreciate you joining us. Once again, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and of course, you can listen to all of our show archives. They are available at posttimewithmikeandmike.com. And also, one more thing, check out uh, the, the article we just did, our latest uh, windback feature on G's Joe, a horse that I think is going to be coming into his own in 2019 horse. I think that is set to make all kind of waves. Uh, so you're going to want to make sure you check that out. That is at the post time with Mike and Mike.com website. You can also find that at us trotting and some of the other news outlet, uh, harness racing websites as well. Back with pacing for the cure next. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. Retrain, rehab, rehome. New Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation and transitional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses placed. Learn more at newvocations.org. Winback Farms welcomes three new stallions in 2019. New to New York, Boston Red Rocks, winner of the 2015 Dan Patch Award for two-year-old pacing colts, and a Breeders' Crown champion. New to Pennsylvania, 34-time winner Heston Blue Chip, winner of the Dan Patch Awards for three-year-old colt pacers and a Breeders' Crown champion. Also the sire of the second richest two-year-old Philly pacer of 2018, Zero Tolerance, and new to Ontario, my MVP, a proven sire of stakes winners, including Good Times Trot winner, Wolfgang. For more information, go to winbackfarm.com. That's winbackfarm.com. 
Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. We're back on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USDA. Mike Bozich along with Mike Carter. And right now it's time for our Pacing for the Cures segment, our first of 2019. So uh, lots to get up to date on. Lots going on with Pacing for the Cure as uh, they get ready for their 2019 season, so to speak, because there's lots going on, and it seems like every year Pacing for the Cure gets bigger and better and busier. We're joined by the dynamic duo of Pacing for the here, Jeff and Janine Gessa. Guys, how's it going? Hey, Mike, how are you? Hi, Mike. We're doing great. How are you? We are doing fantastic, and we are gearing up for another great year for Pacing for the Cure. The horse racing community, uh, owners, trainers, stables, racetracks, a lot of people have stepped it up in helping what is uh, really a fantastic cause. So let's get up to date. Uh, Janine Gessick, first of all, how are we doing, and uh, what are some of the things going up? Well, Mike, um, we're doing great. Uh, thanks to the generous support of all of our individual and corporate donors, Casing for the Cure has met 100% of the requested support for medical equipment and services, and we've donated 50000 to MS Research to help find a cure. So uh, needless to say, Jeff and I are so grateful for the opportunity to lead this all-volunteer charity, and we're really humbled by the courage and fighting spirit of the individuals we have met through our events that are living with MS. So um, we really want them and those that we will meet in the future, because we know this year um, we'll meet some new friends um, living with MS, we want them to understand that their challenges are something that we understand because we've been through it um, and that we are here fighting this disease on their behalf um, and will continue to do so. So we hope that through our events throughout the year, we can bring a little peace of mind and some emotional support to many more as we continue another year. Um, I wanted to let you know, Mike, interestingly enough, that just recently there was a major research study that came out stating that they believe the numbers of individuals affected with MS was really underreported in the United States. So it was originally reported at 40,000 people living with MS, and now, I'm sorry, 400,000, not 40,000, up to what is now reported at as a million people in the U.S. alone. So that means that the 2.5 million people worldwide that was originally projected is much higher. So um, just an interesting update on the prevalence of MS across um, not only the United States, but the world. 
Yeah, and obviously we don't we don't like to see people affected with with this disease or any disease. But you know the fact that uh, there are more people uh, fighting this disease to some extent or another, you know, I think opens the door for uh, a lot more awareness. And I think awareness, you know, that's what leads into research, and then you know that's what leads into potential cures and and uh, you know gets us uh, makes us able to fight this disease more effectively. We've got some new programs coming up in 2019, Jeff. I want to bring you in. Certainly, very excited about these. Yes, for sure. In fact, because of the awareness that we're bringing, the uh, the success of the harness driver and trainer dog wind challenge, and then a bunch of the drivers are wearing the pace of the steer patch. We have created an opportunity for the harness racing owners to join what we are calling the harness racing owner ten dollars for wind challenge. This program will get the owners involved as well and give them the opportunity to donate $10 for a win for each of their horses they own. And if at the end of the year their donations are $100 uh, in order to choose from a baseball cap or a polo shirt, and if at the end of the year the donations are $200, the owner can choose from a cap. No, they will get both a cap and a polo shirt. And at the end of uh, the year, if they have $300 or more, an owner will get the cap, the polo shirt, and two tickets to our annual cocktail party. So uh, also for the drivers, we're going to add the fact that uh, at their $100 level, they can get a polo shirt or a cap as well. And for the 250 donation level or more, they will receive two tickets to the party to either join it or, or give to somebody who they're one of their owners or trainers that they drive for. So if anybody's interested in joining that challenge or either challenge for a Quest to Cure MS, they could just call me at 609-354-8992. Or email me at Jeff at Basin for the Cure. We'd love to have everybody join us. And, and Jeff, this is one of the things that I've been so excited and so encouraged about working with you guys for the past year, year and a half, is to see all of the stables, all of our great stables in the sport of harness racing, really stepping up to the plate. And, uh, Jeff, they'll have a chance to do so in a big way with your second program. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, we came up with a second program called Multiple Stables Supporting Multiple Sclerosis. Uh, as you may or may not know, some people may or may not know, the Altmire Wilder Stable has been an amazing supporter, and they have our current ambassador, Mr. Bill G., racing out at the Meadows since the fall. He's doing, he's doing really well. He's got a couple wins. He's always getting a check, and he's creating tremendous awareness and, and uh, enthusiasm around out there. And uh, so we were thinking, because of the great attention that trainer Mike and Heather and their two daughters, Lauren and Scarlett, are giving with their stable, that maybe other stables would like to join in. So the program that we came up with is any stable that joins for a $125 donation will get their logo placed on a banner at every event that we go to, including our annual cocktail party. And for a $500 donation, the stable will receive their logo on the banner for every event, as well as 12 long shirt, long sleeve t-shirts, and uh, two tickets to the annual cocktail party. So our goal is hopefully to get maybe 20 stables or more would be great, but 20 stables involved, and we'd really be feel very grateful and thankful for that. Yeah, good, good stuff. Janine, let's bring you in the upcoming events. Uh, it seems like every year we get busier and busier, and that uh, certainly is a great thing. A lot of the racetracks have stepped up, you know, allowed you, uh, have allowed the pacing for the cure to do the events there. Tell us about some of the upcoming events that we could look forward to here in 2019. Sure. Um, 
So we always, Jeff and I are always excited to go out to the racetrack, and we really appreciate being hosted um, for our Pacing Future Day and evenings at the races. So we are planning an event at the Meadows Racetrack in March, which just happens to be National MS Awareness Month. So we're targeting Friday, March 22nd. Um, so we hope to see our friends and supporters from that area out at the event. We are in the process of finalizing some of our um, some of the details for that event, but it is anticipated that the pacing for the Cure Ambassador will be racing that day. Um, so we would appreciate many of our um, fans and supporters to come out and and help root him on for a win that evening. Right now, we're also discussing a sponsorship with a major health system in the Pittsburgh area. And also, we continue to have dialogue with a major automobile dealership here in the New Jersey area for our um, New Jersey events. So, um, so basically, what I'm saying, Mike, is that we gratefully accept sponsorships from all types of businesses within the harness industry as well as outside of it. So if anyone listening knows of anyone who may be interested in a sponsorship opportunity in 2019, they can reach out to me at Janine at, at pacingforthecure.org. Also, um, our friends and supporters, as we know from the Philly, New Jersey, Delaware area, we all love our Pacing for the Cure nights at the Philadelphia Phillies. So once again, we will be having our event there on Wednesday, May 29th at 7 p.m. And um, this is in honor of World MS Day, which happens to be the next day, May 30th. So um, anyone that's listening, please mark your calendars. Um, we're in the process of working with the Phillies to get the splash page created. So once we have that, we will post it on our Facebook page as well as our Pacing for the Cure website so people can sign up early. Mike, that's always a great evening of, of fun, and, you know, people can bring their families. It's really a, a, a great um, day. And the best part is the Philadelphia Phillies give us half the ticket price. So um, that really does um, help us in a big way. So we're really grateful for the Phillies for that. Um, other events that we're still in the planning phase of, Stages um, include Harris, Philadelphia, another local site. We always love to go to Harris, and I know we'll be planning something um, exciting there this year. Um, the Meadowlands, of course, um, up in North Jersey is a site that we visit um, every year, and we always have something new and unique planned. Um, Sciota Downs has already been in touch with us about coming out Saturday, July 13th. So um, plans for that are in the works. And, of course, Ocean Downs was our first time there last year. We had a bunch of fun, met a lot of new friends and supporters there who have um, welcomed us back to Ocean Downs. And then, of course, as we end the summer, we start planning our annual fundraiser for end of year. So a lot of activity, Mike, as, as you mentioned, um, planned. But Jeff and I really do enjoy our time out at the track. Um, meeting um, lots of uh, new friends and supporters. And, you know, who knows, maybe this year we'll be invited to visit a new racetrack. And uh, we certainly would look forward to that. So if any track or anyone listening out there is interested in hosting, Pacing for the Cure for an MS walk or Day at the Races, again, please feel free to contact me at 609 354 
All right. I know we got a lot of racetracks, racetrack execs that listen to this program. So step up, guys. Uh, we uh, certainly love to get in as many tracks as possible, 2019 and beyond. But uh, Jeff, before we let you guys go, that's not all that's been going on at Pacing for the Cure. There's uh, a few new board members that you'd like to introduce. Yeah, actually, we're saving the best to last. I mean, we're so honored to have some great three new board members, including yourself, Mike and uh, Mike Carter and Elizabeth Cheeseman, Director of Marketing at Winback, who will be bringing their talents, ideas, and passion for harness racing to the Facebook Pure, Pure Board. And uh, we're just so thrilled to get everybody involved that's so passionate about our cause and as well as knows the industry very well and, and, and support us. And, and, they, and they all volunteer, and we can't be thankful enough. And uh, Janine and I feel so blessed and grateful that we have such a great uh, board. All right. Well, listen, we appreciate you uh, taking us aboard. Uh, you know, myself and I can speak for Mike Carter. I'm sure I can speak for Liz as well. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a great time. It's certainly for a great cause. And like I say, it's all about creating awareness because, you know, the end goal is we want to cure this disease. And, and yeah. uh, you know what, the, the only way we can do that is create awareness. And uh, I'll tell you, you guys have certainly stepped up to the plate and done that in a big way through harness racing over the past couple of years. And I'm so thrilled that the harness racing industry, you know, is, is open their arms up to you guys. Well, listen, we certainly appreciate you guys joining us. Jeff, anything else? No, that's it. I just said absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Yeah, we agree. And thank you for all your support, Mike and Mike. We greatly appreciate it and always look forward to this segment every month. Okay, guys, real quick, one more thing, though, before I let you go. Um, and I know I notice, uh, especially over the past couple of months, or months, that Pacing for the Cure has been very active on social media. So uh, we're not hard to find uh, Facebook and Twitter. Make sure you uh, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and and also, uh, Janine, the website's open as well. Once again, that website is? PacingForTheCure.org. Thank you, Mike.